0: a lot of them burnt to death actually more probably died in hiding in the cellars of of uh, you know m- carbon monoxide poisoning from the fires or from the heat you know they couldn't get out into the into the into the fire so they, they basically baked in the cellars or or all the oxygen ran out and they uh, they they suffocated <laughs>
1: Hello and welcome to the Aspects of History podcast. My name's Oliver Webb Carter and I'm the editor and I'm afraid that was quite a morbid start to the podcast this week. And today we're talking about the bombing of Hamburg in 1943 uh, with Keith Lowe, the author of the book Inferno. So Keith talks about this, well, it's not a fun subject and it is an important subject though because we don't often talk about the bad side of what the Allies did during World War Two. I say bad side um, But certainly, you know, the side of things where we talk about the good and the bad war of World War Two, And it was undoubtedly a good war But did everything uh, that happened during it uh, on the Allied side, was that all good? And that's the s- subject of of Keith's book, Inferno, and that's what we talk about and it's one of those nuanced questions, as many things are when looking at the past. So it's, there's no right or wrong. It's just uh, complicated and difficult. And Keith describes the bombing and uh, why it happened. We then go on and talk about how the, we bombed the British, the Allies, the RAF, the Americans, uh, bombed France and Holland... As well, so our own you know people we were liberating, and then we talk a little bit about the impact of World War II on Europe and how it was in a completely chaotic state immediately after the war ended so uh, it's an interesting talk with keith he's written um, some fantastic books I've put the links in the show notes, so I really do recommend it i mean Inferno on Hamburg is, is fascinating, but also his other books the Europe in the aftermath of World War II. Um, it's called S- Savage Continent. Um, highly recommended. A couple of things to, to cover. Um, back at Aspects of History HQ. We've got a couple of articles that I think will be really interesting. They are World War II related. Um, I guess that continues the theme from our discussion today. But if you're interested, we've got a really nice piece from Dilip Sarka, who's written a book on Douglas Ba- Bader, 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 never sure how to pronounce it, pretty sure it's Bader. Um, he was the RAF ace who shot down around 22 German fighters in World War Two, and he didn't have any legs. He lost his legs in a plane crash in the 1930s. And Dilip has written a piece about the controversy surrounding a piece of sort of RAF uh, tactics. Now, go with me on this. It doesn't sound that interesting, but um, it is interesting. It should sound interesting, because it is, in that there was this sort of theory around strategy in fighting the, the Germans during World War II, during the Battle of Britain, uh, that Douglas Bader got involved in, and it went right to the top. Lots of people got sacked, and it went to the uh, Downing Street as well. Uh, So Dilip writes about that controversy, he's written a new book, so that looks really interesting. And we've also got a, a piece from John Lucas, who's written about a woman who had an affair with Heinrich Himmler. Now I don't know about you, that gives me the shivers, that Heinrich Himmler is not the most attractive person who ever walked the earth. He's probably the most, or one of the most unattractive people to ever walk the earth. Well, she had an affair with him, and why did she do that? Well. It's a murky story, but it does seem as though there was an honorable uh, motivation behind it in that she had a son from her first marriage who was Jewish and was trying to protect him. So worth reading about that as well. He's again, he's written a, a, a really interesting book about that. Elsewhere, I mentioned it before, I'm going to mention it again, it's the Unpublished Historical Fiction Award, the Aspects of History Unpublished Historical Fiction Award, prize, £500, and the book gets published, it's only a tenner to enter, and with that tenner's entry, you receive a discount code of 50% off an annual subscription of Aspects of History, so you pay a tenner, but you basically get a fiver back, so a fiver entry, so if you know anyone who's written a novel, as they always say, you have a book inside you. Everyone has a book inside them. And that's where it should stay. That's what Christopher Hitchens said. I didn't say that. That's not my thinking. Anyway, over to the podcast. As ever, you can get a hold of me on the Twitter at Ollie WCQ, O-L-L-I-E-W-C-Q. And I will pass you over to Keith. And me, talking about the bombing of Hamburg in 1943. Now, um, this kind of leads us slightly into your uh, next book, which is, um, there is a monument, I think, to the the victims of the Hamburg bombing. Um, Is that, that correct in your book?
0: there is yes yes
1: so that this is a, a bombing that i don't think and i know you've written this in your in in your in, in your book uh, inferno that when it, when people think about the allies bombing germany during the war it's dresden is 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 the one that is is always brought up um and probably rightly so but hamburg i think had just as many if not more and predominantly i mean if not all civilians uh, or the vast majority of civilians, nearly 40,000, I think. Um, now, yes. this was this was your next book, Inferno, or, or your... Well, it's not your next book. Was it your first book in no, 2007?
0: Book. Yes, yes. Uh,
1: so, so why did you want to write about... Um, I, I have a suspicion, I know, but why did you want to write about uh, the bombing of Hamburg in 1943?
0: Well, you know, it's um, several reasons. I mean, books about bombing, I think bombing is, is our sort of weak point in in yeah. britain we, we 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 like to think of ourselves as the heroes of the war and and we were to a large extent us and the americans and and even the russians you know we're all we, we were liberating europe it was a good thing we did but the way we went about it was not you know that's where the sort of problems begin because uh you know bombing civilians is is certainly controversial and You've got to remember, actually, that we didn't only bomb civilians in in Germany. We also bombed them in France and in in Holland. And they're supposed to be our allies. You know, we're supposed to be liberating them. Is Um, it
1: 40,000 French killed? Is that right in Alabama? Yeah, I
0: think it's even more. I think it's about 60. Right. Yeah. Between 40 and 60,000 French civilians killed by our bombs. You know, so, uh, yeah. It's
1: huge numbers. They really are. It is.
0: It is. so, so I think it's important to to put your finger on the weak spots every now and then, and just say, okay, it's very easy to just push this to one side and pretend it's not happening. But actually, let's look at it, you know, full in the face, and and see where we come out. Um, and ha- I chose Hamburg specifically because it wasn't Dresden, uh, and I wanted to, people to remember that. You know, there's there's lots of other th- bombings going on, and as you say. Hamburg was twice as bad as Dresden was. So if you're thinking about body counts and so on, we should be looking in 1943, not in 1945. Um, uh, The other thing that's interesting about um, Hamburg is I I think it's very easy to be just to sort of flip the coin over. It's very easy to be sort of apologetic about Dresden because that was the time when. You know, really, by the end of the war, we had air supremacy. There was nobody. um, uh, The the, the German Air Force weren't really fighting back nearly as much. Um, We had all kinds of other tactics we could have been using instead of just blitzing whole cities. And yet we didn't. So so that's sort of we're kind of right to feel guilty about that. But Hamburg is a bit more difficult because that's the point of the war where we're not winning. We don't have air supremacy. Actually, the Germans are, 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 are shooting us out of the sky, left, right and centre. So, you know, it's, it's much more of a battle. So that it becomes much more interesting thinking about the morality of it. You know, Sure, we're bombing women and children. That's awful. Um, but on the other hand, we, we've got no other way of fighting the war. And, and shouldn't we be doing something But rather than doing nothing? And if this is the only way we can do it, then maybe that's justified. So it's, it's it's a much more murky story. It's those murky stories that I enjoy uh, uh, going into. It's much more interesting, I think.
1: Yeah, I can definitely tell uh, throughout your books that it's really interesting. Uh, but the so were there any moral qualms at the time amongst the military leaders or or the political political leaders um, for the bombing uh, yeah, of Hamburg? Yeah, a few. Yeah. Uh,
0: um, um... There were one or two um, Labour MPs who who um, argued against it. Uh, religious figures as well, the, the Bishop George Bell. He was he uh, stood up in the House of Lords and um, argued against it, um, saying that you know it, it, w- we're making ourselves as bad as them by doing this. Uh, we shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but on the whole, in 1943, there was a most people supported it um, because, as I said, there there, were, there seemed to be no other way of waging the war at that point we we didn't have a foothold in uh, on the mainland of europe um so that was all we could do so we had to be doing it
1: and and to the um uh the 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 way the um the, the bombing was carried out um it was most effective because i think was it all the stars were aligned for the for the uh, RAF when they went in. It was, it was predominantly the RAF, wasn't it? But the Americans yeah. weren't bombing by then. Um, yeah,
0: well, the Americans bombed during the day, but uh, oh, right. in smaller numbers, trying trying to specifically target very small bits of the port, um, and missed them, unfortunately. Uh, whereas the, the the British went in at night with much larger force and just dropped bombs on everything. Um, and their, their predominant idea was not to blow things up. They wanted to set fire to things. So they dropped The incendiary
1: ex- bombs, is that?
0: Yeah, yeah. So they, the, the reason they dropped high explosives was just to blow the, the, the windows out and to, and to knock the roofs off in order to let the air get in. So that when they dropped the incendiaries afterwards, that it had oxygen to feed the fires. I mean, it was, it was all about setting fire to cities. It's quite brutal when you think about it. But uh, it, it's the most effective way of destroying a city is to set fire to it
1: and so the intention was to destroy the city
0: yeah well to destroy uh um i mean the the sort of technical jargon was to de-house the uh the population the working population who then would not be able to work in the factories and so on but effectively you're setting fire to a whole city and if the people are burning to death that's that's you know that's part of the job
1: so uh and and sort of uh, nearly forty thousand are killed in this. Now, w- does that mean that you know I, I, this is pretty morbid stuff? But were they that it, this was burnt to death as you've as you've described through these incendiary devices?
0: Yeah, a lot of them burnt to death. Actually, more probably died in hiding in the cellars of of uh, you know carbon monoxide poisoning from the fires or from the heat you know, they couldn't get out into the, into the, into the fight. So they, they basically baked in the cellars or all or, or the oxygen ran out and they, uh, they, they suffocated. So, yeah, they, they found sort of piles of bodies heaped up in these cellars afterwards. So it's quite, it's quite gruesome, really. The cleanup operation, I also covered up in the book, which, you know, of course, they went to the local concentration camp and pulled out all the, the Jewish workers to come and do it for them because it was quite, gruesome horrible work and they didn't want to get their hands dirty uh so yeah that's that's not particularly um praiseworthy either from from their side
1: no this is what
0: war is about war is not a nice thing ever
1: yeah war is war is hell i mean it 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 links back to one of the statues you've written about in your in your latest book um the bomber command one which is another very controversial one um because there's no, it's for the fifty odd thousand airmen who lost their lives um, in 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 um, bombing raids in in the war, but there's no mention at all of of any of the victims of that bombing.
0: Yeah, well, yeah, I mean there 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 actually is a mention, uh, which was sort of added as a an afterthought after a lot of arguing by historians. And, and was put right at the top, sort of behind, uh, so you can't really see it unless you crane your neck and and, uh, and and know where it is and are looking for it. Um. So yeah, it, it's that's my one problem with that monument. It's it's uh I'm talking about the the bomber command. Memorial the bomber command
1: in, one, yeah. In
0: Green Park, yeah, in yeah. London. Uh, yeah, I mean it's got it's got it's it's quite a sort of traditional looking statue of uh, a, a, an air crew standing there um having just come out of a plane having finished their bombing raid but they're not really doing anything they're just sort of standing and sort of looking square jawed off into the distance you know and uh if you compare that to the the um memorial to the fighter pilots on the embankment that's much more full of action there's people running uh, off to uh, to jump in their planes and defend Britain and in, in the, in the battle of Britain and so on. It's very, that's very sort of uh, kinetic uh, feeling. Whereas the bomber command one that nobody's doing anything. They're just sort of standing there looking heroic. And the reason why they're not doing anything is because the actual action of what they're doing is uh, it's problematic. So you don't want to show it in a memorial to, to, to your dead airmen. and you, you sort of leave it, somewhere at the back at the top as a sort of footnote
1: yeah it's 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 a difficult one that one um well I, they all are it, i suppose but um yeah. in your but i mean it, it, it,
0: they could have done it differently they could have yeah. done it you know made it more of a sort of a, a a a monument to how horrible war is and 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 say something like you know look what we we had to do. We had to do these terrible things because we were at war. This war is awful, and it, it even makes us, the heroes, do things which are problematic. That that would be much more interesting rather than trying to pretend it hadn't happened.
1: Yeah, I mean, there is an argument. There's certainly an argument that, that many distinguished historians would make, that the bombing campaign was necessary and as horrific as it was, it had to be done. It was total war. So um, I think even... Even the most, um, you know, pro bombing campaign historian would acknowledge the moral moral difficulties with it. It's not an easy answer. Um, mm. Yeah. So one other one other one I wanted to mention, which I've always found a bit, I, I love animals and everything. I'm not an animal hater, yes. but um, there's a monument to the animals of, who've, who've died in war, and that's yes. really a monument for us because the animals obviously
0: aren't going to appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, and- we're a nation about animal lovers, aren't we? So we're- well,
1: yes, we are. We are. We're speaking as a, a football has just been
0: discovered. um oh. Yes,
1: yes. Uh, <laughs> we won't go into that. Don't worry, Keith. We won't
0: go into that. I'm not a West Ham supporter, so I, I feel safe.
1: <laughs> me, me neither. Me neither. Um, but yeah, well, I i guess. Are there any? I, I just don't know if there are any other countries that would put up a um, a, a monument. It's, it's quite a big monument. The one to the yeah, animals yeah, it's again, on in, park lane in,
0: isn't in it park. yeah yeah by park lane hmm. it's uh, uh i can think of others um for example uh in japan in the center of japan um near the Yasukuni shrine which i also cover in the book yeah. they do have they've got a statue to horses and dogs and pigeons there's a, a pigeon statue because of course carrier pigeons were used during various wars so uh yeah, th- th- those are commemorated there in, th- in the same way that we commemorate our uh, animals of warfare. It's quite, it's a, it's a nice thing, I think.
1: It's quite sweet. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm unconvinced. I've got to say, Keith.
0: <laughs> well, it's, it's just good to remember that, you know, um, we have used animals to do our dirty work. Quite I suppose. They don't have a choice. We've, we're making them do it. And it's, it's good to just acknowledge that. That's all yes
1: you're right you're right you're right um, <laughs> now um so an, another book that you've written that is um, that' is also i think explores an area that not many people and not many other historians have uh, is savage continent so this is this is Europe in the immediate aftermath of the war i think it's from forty four to forty nine you've you've covered, and for most people their knowledge of of europe after the war was you know marshall plan, plan comes in loads of american dollars happy days um every, everything gets better
0: but that's not the reality is it no no unfortunately i mean this is another example where, where you know i i like to you, you have this thing called the second world war and then you have this other thing called the cold war uh, and the, but there's a bit in between that very rarely gets talked about where everything's in chaos and nobody knows what's going on. And and there's all kinds of revenge taking place. And, and that's the, it's the in-between bits I I like to go for. Those are the interesting, that's where the stories happen. That's where, um, you know, you're, you're, you're changing from one vision of the world into a a different vision of the world. That's where it's all happening in that in-between bit. So, uh, yes. Um, the Europe in between sort of 44 and 49 was in a state of chaos. I mean, you can imagine whole cities have been destroyed. There's nowhere for people to live that 35 million people at least have been killed during the war. So everybody's grieving. Everybody's sort of traumatized and there's a whole uh, communities of people who are out for revenge. They want, they want someone to pay for this and they're incensed by what's happened what's been done to them so um that's really interesting what do they do who, who do they who do they target what do they who do they take their anger out on and how do they survive you know there's the, all the institutions that they had known have been destroyed and the new ones haven't quite been set up yet so what do they do in the meantime these are the interesting questions, I think.
1: No, no governments, no law, no legal system, no uh, police forces.
0: Yeah. It, it really,
1: it, as you say, it's it's chaos, isn't it? I mean, I, I was reading. Um, uh, you cover the Greek Civil War, I think, in, in 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 that book, and there is a, I think there's a stage where there are British soldiers fighting on one side of the Greek Civil War against. Anti-German um, Greek fighters. Obviously, it was a the civil war involved. Uh, communists on one side, and and um, uh, the you know it was right versus left. But you know, it's just this bizarre situation—the Greek civil war, which Churchill, I think, was it was he very keen on. Obviously, he wanted Greece to be. No way would it would it ever go communist. And yeah. that's why put yeah. troops in. Absolutely.
0: I mean, he was a big supporter of the, the bringing back. He wanted to bring back kings everywhere. Um, so so he, the, the whole idea of communists taking over w- was abhorrent to him. And he actually, he, he sat down with Stalin um, before the Greek Civil War and made a sort of secret deal with him that, uh, you know, Greece would be in the British sphere of influence and places like Poland and, and um, Eastern Europe would be in the firmly in the Soviet sphere of influence and and we wouldn't interfere with them if they didn't interfere with us. And to be fair, um, Stalin kept to his side of the agreement. You know, he could quite easily have um, sent in uh, partisans from neighbouring uh, Albania and, and Yugoslavia and, and so on and, and sent people down in to, to join the Greek partisans and try and overthrow the, the um, well, I, I I shudder to, to I sort of hesitate to uh, call them Democrats because a lot of the people the communists were fighting against were, were sort of quite fascistic.
1: Yeah, it wasn't good versus evil. No, all, no,
0: it? no, exactly. I mean, it's the, 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 during before, even before the Greek Civil War, during the war itself, that all the partisans were the partisans were having a, a sort of fight between themselves, where the, the um, communists were trying to take over from the nationalist partisans but then you you've got the uh the Greek collaborators with with germany and and Italy who are kind of in control um and then the British turn up and they don't really want to allow the communists to take over so they they prop up the the fascist collaborators, which is <laughs> sort of problematic really um you know who, what what are we fighting for if we're not allowing these people to be properly dealt with after the war? Having said that, of course, the communists were pretty, uh, pretty brutal themselves. I mean, they were—they weren't um, shrinking violets by <laughs> by any stretch of the imagination. They were quite happy to massacre whole populations themselves.
1: So, so yeah, I, I yeah, it, it's 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 a story that. Um that is is it definitely should be um i i I'll obviously put a link to this book in there because I, I, it's a story that is 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 so interesting and not and not as well known as it should be um and then so i wanted to, we're getting towards the end of of our discussion keith and i wanted to talk a bit about fear and freedom which ah. um which was which is which is how i guess it sort of sums up your your kind of um main view of how the war has affected us all globally as well yeah yeah um now uh, it's not something that um i I, i've i've thought about for for continents such as uh, latin and south america south america how how the war affected them beyond you know knowledge of of the odd nazi ending up in argentina what's how how did the war affect um africa and and, and south america continents that you, we wouldn't necessarily think were directly invect- uh, affected by the war
0: yeah well as as you say i i i did want to stress the fact that it you know it wasn't just a european war and an asian war it was it was a world war you know, the whole world was was involved um so, I mean, there were there were Brazilians fighting in Italy, for example. So, uh, you know, the, the, there were people who were dile- directly involved in the fighting who came from other places. Um, but the the greatest effects of the war in uh, Latin America were kind of sort of social and political, really, and economic. Before the Second World War, most of the trade that went on between Latin America uh, was with with Europe. They had very strong um, trading ties, but of course those were broken by the Battle of the Atlantic. You you couldn't send goods across very easily. So um, the the patterns of trade changed and they started doing much more north-south trade with the United States. And then any um, ships that went over to Europe were American ships. So America began to sort of control all the shipping. And so everything, instead of going directly from from Latin America to to Europe, was going up via the States. So they become much more reliant on the United States um, than they had been. And um, then you've got this sort of psychological thing. I mean, what's really interesting is that in Latin America, at, at the end of the war suddenly there are all these democracy movements. Um, you know, been, most countries had di- military dictators before and during the war, and then they all start to, to fall and they, they've got sort of uprisings and people, you know, democracy movements all across Latin America. And these are supported by the United States um, because they're, they're, they're full of the sort of ideals of the war, you know, fight against the fascists, create democracy, let's do that. Then come 1949, when now there's a Cold War, suddenly democracy, well, it's okay as long as you're you're not too left-wing. And suddenly well, there are all these sort of, you know, people with communist ideas in, in Latin America. So <laughs> under the influence of America, of the United States again, there's a clampdown and, and suddenly all these d- dictators return uh, and countries that had become democratic then suddenly go back to being... Uh, Being um, sort of military dictatorships again, so it's it's a really interesting time. And this is the this is the effect that the war has on the whole region in a sort of psychological way, that that springs up all these democracy movements, and then as the Cold War kicks in, snuffs them out again.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, the polls um, think that the well, some polls say the war um, didn't end until what 1989. The fall of the yeah. war i mean it's it's it, it, it could be quite a compelling argument really when you consider you know uh, you've got ussr versus usa as a result of of the war you know you've got vietnam and everything it, you, you can completely see how the war really has affected everyone and
0: yeah yeah i mean north korea and south korea that wouldn't they wouldn't have been like that if if it uh, you know, hadn't been the Second World War, the, the, the Russians invaded from the north and uh, the Americans invaded from the south. And that's why we have a north and a South Korea. I mean, that's just a, a, a sort of obvious example. But the, there are examples like that across the world. It's it's it. It hits every single country, even places you wouldn't expect.
1: But there's an argument that um, I, I and, but I think this is more specific to our country and our glorifying of of probably events during the war in that, you know, we are a little bit obsessed about World War II. We, you know, everything, things are Churchillian. Um, We want the blitz spirit. Um, Everyone talks about the dam busters. That side of things does get mentioned a lot, but I guess it speaks to a wider truth that World War II really was the most impactful event of, you know, um, globally.
0: Well, I mean it, what it did to the global economy is is it, i mean it completely changed everything it completely changed all the patterns of trade it changed um, uh, who got what it changed um uh you know the British Empire collapsed i mean it arguably it was it was already going to be uh going to be changing um before even before the second world war but the second world war did it I mean we couldn't afford an empire after that and the same goes for France same goes for, uh, the, the, the Dutch East Indies which I also c- cover in The Fear and the Freedom now Indonesia I mean that was became independent as a direct consequence of World War II before that it was always a Dutch colony um, even um, parts of Africa as you mentioned in your earlier question um, parts of Africa that were never directly involved in the war You know, there were people from those countries in places like Ghana, for example, or Nigeria, who fought in the British army in places like Burma and picked up skills, uh, which they then came back and thought, well, you know, maybe we can use these. They also picked up ideas that they hadn't necessarily thought of before. Like, you know, we're in, we're in India and the Indians are getting independence. So they know they're getting independence. Why don't we do the same thing? They've shown it can be done. We'll, why don't we do it? And, and so, so, these ideas suddenly take off in, in, in Africa in a way, which had only been very sort of beneath the surface before when suddenly off because as a consequence of the war became much more urgent.
1: Great stuff. Well, I I think it's a a nice way to end, end it with your, with a sheer scale of, of, of the war. Um, Now I know you're working on a book um, on the war in Naples, Mm-hmm. um or, or how naples was affected by the war is that was that throughout the war or or are you gonna what are you covering um
0: I, i'm starting from uh, 1943 when uh, Na- naples was uh first of all occupied by the germans when italy swapped sides then the neapolitans rose up against the germans kicked them out and then the allies turned up and reoccupied them in a sort of more benign way well Benign, they thought, but actually, the that's when the whole economy of the city uh, goes to pot, and people start starving, and women across the board start prostituting themselves in order to live, and and so on. So it's it's a sort of tale of good intentions gone wrong.
1: (laughs) Well, we've got a bit of time to wait till that's out, I think. But and and I I wanted to ask you one more question because I was doing a little bit of digging on your um, Amazon page. And I did notice that there is uh, an early publication of yours called Tunnel Vision.
0: Oh yes, <laughs> oh that's, that that brings back memories. Wow, right. yeah, I, In a in a previous life, I I wrote a couple of novels. That was one of them.
1: But was that based? I should explain. Well, I, maybe you should explain the the, the plot. And because I wanted to ask if it was grounded in reality in any way. <laughs>
0: Uh, okay, the the plot was. Uh, I mean, this this sort of it, it's uh, shows the sort of geeky side of my nature. I did a lot of research on on the history of the tube and the sort of hidden aspects of the of the London. It underground. sounds fantastic.
1: I'm not taking the piss. Yes. I, I it's, think it it's looks a, really good. It's,
0: <laughs> it's about a, a man who is about to get married, uh, but his best friend, his supposed best friend, steals his honeymoon tickets his wedding ring his credit card and various other things and hides them in various places around the tube and he's got 24 hours to go to every single tube station on the map trying to find his stuff so he can get to his wedding on time and save the day and of course everything goes wrong along the way and uh, he falls out with his friend and so on
1: have you have you ever tried to go to every station in in a 24 yes period? i
0: have and no i didn't manage it <laughs> there, are, there are people who do this semi-professionally and they it's it's a real skill right um, I, I i didn't come close to managing to do it
1: yeah you've got to think of the right right line to start on and yeah, um...
0: yeah the right combination of where you get on and off trains and ha- how to organize your journey I and mean, it's very complicated <laughs> well, there's I'm probably com- an algorithm out there, or there's probably an app for it now. Yeah, actually. there
1: probably is. Probably is. Uh, well, I w- th- at least we've ended on a slightly more, you know, uh, positive, happier note. Um, yeah. Thank, <laughs> Keith. Thanks so much for for your time. Those books are fantastic. I'm going to put links for them for for the listeners to to get to. Um, and uh, best of luck with the new book.
0: Thanks very much. Well,
1: I hope you enjoyed that. I always like talking to Keith because he raises those uh, interesting questions of history. Uh, he covers parts of history that maybe not that many people do and he also looks at the sort of murkier questions um around World War 2 which we don't often we don't often look into. So um if you've got any comments please give me feedback through the apple podcasts or subscribe or follow or whatever it is you do with your podcast uh platform that you use and i thought i might read out i've got um i might read out a comment if i've got time it was very nice so i i read it and i was blown away it was so kind uh i've uh, it was ba- based on the Um, the story of Roger Morehouse gave us about the invasion of Poland in 1939. I got a nice message here. I loved listening to this take, one we rarely hear about amongst the noise of the better-known battles and political intrigues. How did the Second World War even get to that point in the first place? Great to hear and very much looking forward to hearing more new perspectives on other areas of history. So that's a lovely little comment there, uh, all about my... Uh, not all about me, all about the chat I had with Roger Moorhass. So really, it's all down to Roger uh, talking about the invasion of Poland in 1939. So today's podcast has been almost totally dominated by the Second World War. I hope you can forgive me. And next week, we'll have a completely different subject. So uh, as ever, thank you very much for listening.